Hi, I'm Lauren Sundstrom. I'm a trans activist, and I think Vancouver is awesome because we have an incredible LGBTQ community and an incredible, accepting, diverse set of people, and I love it here. Hey, I'm Curtis Colt. I am a Vancouver-based wine writer, consultant, and also co-founder of Top Drop, a little uh, terroir-driven wine festival we run every year. I think Vancouver is awesome because people in this city love eating and drinking, and we have an enormous array of amazing places to eat, local ingredients to tuck into a fantastic local wine industry, local craft beer industry, and I just love the city's adoration for all of that and that it's just growing and getting bigger and better and brighter. Welcome to the Vancouver is Awesome podcast. I'm Lindsay William Ross, and I'm flying solo this week. Just me, which is actually pretty cool because I'm not going to talk at you a lot. I'm uh, going to mark Marinette a little bit. I'm not playing guitar or selling you stamps or talking about my stand-up gig. Trust me. Uh, the only jokes I know currently are the ones my almost six-year-old tells me and the punchline is usually something involving poop. So uh, I, I will not be telling jokes, but it leaves me more time with our guests today. Um, I got the chance to sit down with two fantastic people for this week's episode. I got a full disclosure, like flat out from the beginning. Uh, I know both these people, knew them before they walked in. Uh, they're both uh, people I've known personally and professionally for a really long time. Uh, so it was my absolute pleasure to be talking to them today. First up, you're going to hear from Lauren Sundstrom. Lauren is a trans activist uh, here in Vancouver. I've known her for years. She's just an incredible human being. Um, she's been wonderfully vocal uh, and public about being part of the trans community over the last couple of years. And I've, we talk a little bit about how I've sort of, I got to see her evolution in a way um, from being more private and to being more public and open. And so we're going to talk about um, issues that the trans community faces uh, globally and locally, talk a little bit about Lauren's background and some of her experiences and uh, it's. Uh, I wish I could talk to Lauren forever. She is just a tremendous human, uh, just informed, bright, articulate, really one of my favorite people. And uh, I'm thrilled that she agreed to come in and chat for a little while. So you'll hear from Lauren. And uh, you're also going to hear from Curtis Colt. Curtis is a wine writer, a wine consultant, wine expert, wine, you know, guy around town that you probably have heard of if you know wine. Uh, and if you want to know wine, you should also get to know Curtis Colt. Um, Curtis is the co-founder of Top Drop. Top Drop is a fantastic wine event that's taking place in Vancouver later this month. It's in its sixth year. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about some of the programming that's going on with Top Drop and uh, just great ways to get to know great wine. And uh, yeah, it's a really fun chat. It's my absolute pleasure 
to uh, to be talking about Top Drop and to talk to Curtis because he's great fun too. So, yeah, it's uh, Lindsay brings her friends in week here at VIA, and uh, I, I really hope you enjoy it. So, first up, you're going to hear from Lauren Sundstrom, and then hang tight, stick around for Curtis Colt talking Top Drop and wine. Lauren, I'm so, I'm very excited to have you here. I'm One. so excited to be here. Well, I'm glad because <laughs> I think you're amazing and uh, you've been an inspiring to me for a very long time. Oh, thank you. And you've also just been very uh, kind and I don't know, you've just been a great person to have in my life. And when I first got to know you, is it safe to say that you were closeted? Is that a, a term that's used? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, the, there's a term within the trans community that's called stealth. And there's varying levels of stealth. Um, you know, I would say that I was out to my close friends, but I wasn't out to like work colleagues or anything like that. So I, I guess to you, yes, that is an accurate statement. Okay. Because what ended up happening is you did come out to your work colleagues. You shared your identity mm-hmm. with us and sort of continuing to know you through that and then how your life has unfolded since then in such a really beautiful and remarkable way has been just continually inspiring. So if we could rewind a little bit back to that era in your yeah. life. Yeah. I'm curious how how you sort of came to the decision to be more open and honest. Oh, well, <laughs> that's a journey. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, even since then, it's been an incredible evolution because I've decided to be publicly open about who I am. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But we can rewind and go back to that that first sort of like rounding up everybody into the boardroom to tell them all that I was trans. Was that uh, the first moment of that nature that you'd had where it was? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, now for me, telling people I'm trans is nothing. It's like super casual. I can mention it in conversation. Right. But then I was so nervous about what people would think of me and that they would change their opinion of me, that I would be treated differently than other women that I worked with. And I didn't want that. And so that was my hesitancy to come out um, in the beginning. And then I kind of just realized, who cares? Uh, You know, it's just I felt like I was omitting huge parts of my history. Um, You know, I transitioned as a teenager, but that meant that I couldn't really talk about my high school experience. And I couldn't I I just couldn't um, relate to people openly and honestly. And so I just decided these are people that I'm seeing every single day um, who I converse with, who I'm becoming close to. I should just tell them. And so I did and, you know, was received very well by everybody. I and so it just sort of progressed from there and um the the only thing that was holding me back after that from coming out publicly um was that shortly thereafter I got into a relationship and um 
I didn't want his family to find out without it coming out of my mouth first. And so I uh, decided to sort of keep it on the down low until we had told them. And so after we told them and they were great about it, um, then that's when I decided to come out publicly. Do you find that the more you sort of build these foundations of acceptance, that it's easier and easier to be who you, be yourself? Um, I think so. You know, I, I don't, that's a tough one because I, I don't know if I'm, because I don't feel like I'm personally building those foundations of acceptance. I feel like society is starting to shift in a direction in general, thanks to the work of a lot of amazing trans activists that are starting to lay that foundation for acceptance. And so that was definitely a big part of it is, you know, society is, there is a, a definite shift. Um, Would you count among that, for example, I think about Laverne Cox yeah. and how, how a high profile, outspoken, successful woman as herself has done so much mm -hmm. for the community. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. Laverne Cox is definitely one of the amazing women who come to mind when I think of some of those women who have been paving the way and laying the foundation for me to be able to be who I am and in and you know publicly be who I am more is it um, and I include Janet Mock in that as well she's another incredible trans activist that people really need to know and she's actually she directs Pose do you know that show no okay it's an American show it's about the ballroom community which is this uh, an, an underground community in the 80s of LGBTQ um, youth who would get together and do these sort of shows. Um, oh. And they were largely um, queer people of color. Um, and they were, you know, a lot of them were trans women. So anyway, she directs this fabulous show about it. Um, Where can people see that, including me? Because that sounds well, really it, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's tough to find in Canada. Okay. Um, <laughs> maybe, you know, somebody out there can correct me right. <laughs> um, if I'm wrong, but I believe it's only on FX in the States. Okay. Okay. And I, I have yet to run across a streaming service in Canada that offers it. So Damn it. I Canada. know. Canada. <laughs> Damn get it. it. Get it together. <laughs> right? We need that. When you were growing up and after you transitioned as you were coming a, of age and coming into your, your identity, mm -hmm. did you have cultural touchstones and role models? Did you have uh, inspiration? Mm -hmm. Well, I remember when I was, um, you know, this was would have been 2005-ish, 2006, uh, that I started to research um, and realize that I was trans. And it, there just weren't the same figures available, especially in the mainstream as there are now. It was more like the sort of Jerry Springer tropes that existed in the media at the time. Um, but thankfully, I managed to stumble across some really incredible resources um, that featured some incredibly inspirational trans women who had transitioned at various um times in our generation from like the 1960s up to modern times. And so seeing those women and doing more research into sort of like procedures that were available and things along those lines, um, I realized that it was possible for me to be who I am. Um, 
sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> I'm going off on a tangent. No, I was just curious about who you turned to as far as in the cultural realm. Right. Yeah. Um, so there were some really great trans activists at the time who are still around and doing incredible work. Um, like uh, Andrea James is one of them. She's based in LA and was a writer for, or still is, I think, a writer for Boing Boing. Um, and she, uh, yeah, she does really great work. Um there was this other woman, Lynn Conway, who is a professor, uh, was a professor at MIT, is now retired, but transitioned in the late 60s and um, got fired from her job at IBM and then went totally stealth and um, ended up a professor at MIT and and did in, wrote a textbook on computer programming and is just an incredibly smart woman. But she set up this website that showed, uh, had a whole section dedicated to successful trans women in, to try and combat that media stereotype of what people believe trans women to be at the time. And so her, thank God she did that because I think that I would have just, I, I would have thought that I was uh, something to be laughed at rather than something to be respected. And so those were the people that – and I had to dig to find those people. Yeah. And now you're saying it's it, things are a little more accessible? Exactly. Yeah. Things are way more accessible now than they were back then. The fact that we have shows like Pose and we have um, Laverne Cox uh, starring in mainstream programs is uh, miles from where we were um, – you know, 14 years ago. On a local level and on a uh, less pop culture level sure. or, or cultural level, what what resources are available for young people or, or frankly, anybody who's mm-hmm. questioning or who uh, is going needs extra support through transition or post-transition or just in general right. in the trans community? What, what resources are Vancouverites working with? Um, I mean, we're only limited by what the government's willing to fund, but um, there are some resources like Three Bridges, which is a whole um, Vancouver Coastal Health-led initiative to provide resources to um, trans people in Vancouver, from being able to access trans-friendly general practitioners to endocrinologists to therapists and everything in between. Um, You know, aside from Three Bridges, uh, it's really just about who you know and and networking and, you know, the girls talk and and tell (laughs) each other who the best in the biz are. Yeah. Um, But Three Bridges and community also are really two good places to start. Um, Community is this sort of uh, resource that's at Davy and Butte um, that, queer people can access and they'll have information for trans people on various things. What would you say are the primary concerns or issues that the trans community is currently facing in in Vancouver but in Canada or globally? Like mm-hmm. what what's on the table right now? Well, you know, compared to uh, a lot of other places in the world and even our friends down south, you know, we trans people have it okay in Canada, um, but there's always room for improvement. And even though there are certain rights that we have that are written into law, that doesn't mean that attitudes have changed. And that doesn't mean that 
trans people who are visibly transgender don't face real dangers when walking down the street. If, um, you know, it, it's not uncommon for trans women to um, be beaten or harassed or misgendered, intentionally humiliated in various ways. Um, you know, there was this really prominent example and that's been making the media rounds recently of a and I don't mean to get too graphic here, but there was a trans woman in Russia who was um, who, who was murdered by a man that she was seeing because he discovered she was trans, and he murdered her in a really brutal way. And so those things still happen every single day to trans people. As far as here in Vancouver and, and BC more specifically, um, we're fortunate to have some um, aspects of medical transition covered by the government. And P.S., I just want to mention, you do not need to medically transition in order to be trans. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> okay. Um, but for those who choose to medically transition, there's, uh, you know, there's a few things that are covered by the government, but there's a lot of stuff that still is left behind um, from hair removal to um, procedures that would allow us to... Uh, lighten or lessen our, our what's called gender dysphoria. Should I explain what that is? Sure. If, if, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Gender dysphoria is a, a feeling of incongruency between your body and your mind and the sort of um, uh, anxiety and depression and, and all kinds of negative emotions that result from having that dysphoria. Um, and so uh, surgeries, hormones, things like that are meant to lessen that dysphoria. Um, and so um, the government covers, for example, sex reassignment surgery, or, or some people like to call it gender confirmation surgery, but uh, they do not cover, you know, electrolysis. They don't cover um, uh, facial feminization surgery, which is a series of procedures that feminize one's face. Um, you know, there's, and I could go on and on and on, and all of those culminate in relieving gender dysphoria. So, uh, you know, we still have a bit of a ways to go. Would you say that if somebody was experiencing what may feel like gender dysphoria, that that might be a signal to them that they should seek help uh, as soon as possible? I think if they're in a position to do so, they absolutely should. Yeah. If, um, if they're in a family situation that allows them to do that, if they are in a community that allows them to do that, because again, resources right. are only accessible to those who are in big cities usually. Uh, one thing that I make the, the terrible mistake of doing too often is reading the comments. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I should know better. But uh, sometimes I, I always feel like it's helpful to know what the arguments are. Mm-hmm even if they're boneheaded. Agreed. Right? Um, because you know, like, what's coming at you as far as, like, the how the hatred is being spun or how Absolutely. the rationale is being spun. And I know because there's been so much talk about, maybe not so more, not so more right now, but uh, bathroom issues mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, the education in the schools, yes, right, um, that might yeah. focus on being more Soji, inclusive, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and what are some of the opposing arguments that crop up the most mm -hmm. that um, 
I don't know that. Yeah, is there sort of a common thread in in the opposition? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, there is. they all have. Um, you know, why don't we start? Oh God, I don't even know where to start. There are so many opposing arguments. But um, let's start with the bathroom. Okay. Why? Because that's very topical right now. Absolutely. Um, first of all, trans people and trans women, trans men, non-binary people have all been using the bathrooms of that match their identities for decades without anybody being the wiser or making a fuss about it. It's only been this sort of uh, scare tactic used by certain groups um, who don't think that trans people should have the rights that we're fighting for right now. Um, The the main argument with the bathroom thing is that um, either – Either people think that trans women are, you know, men in dresses who just want to, like, watch women pee, which is bizarre. It's a whole <laughs> other illness that it's usually straight men right. with psychological and criminal issues. Right. Straight, straight <laughs> cisgender men. Yes. Which uh, cisgender is the term for non-trans people. Um, but it's... Uh, it's completely ridiculous. There have been no recorded cases of a trans woman attacking a cis woman in a bathroom or spying on her or yeah, being disgusting yeah. because at the end of the day, we're women and we're just trying to pee. Yeah. <laughs> Going pee, people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like, you know, if we want to talk about Vancouver's new mascots, we just want to pee and poo. Right. <laughs> and flush without yeah. putting anything else down the toilet. Right. <laughs> Um, but the other argument that's made for not giving trans women access or trans people in general access to the washrooms that they identify most with is that having inclusive laws will then empower the actual sickos to go into like a a cis man to go into a women's bathroom and claim he's a trans woman. And again, that's never happened. And if somebody is truly perverted and and wants to spy on women peeing, they're not – or doing whatever in a bathroom. They're not (laughs) going to – because we do more than that. Um, He's not going to, you know, go, oh, well, I can, you know, use this law as a loophole. No, he's just going to do it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to – Criminal behavior is criminal behavior, period. It doesn't need some – an excuse. Exactly. And so just these – these imagined scenarios are completely preposterous and have not happened yet. Um, so we need to get away from that thinking because it's toxic and it's not productive for anybody. And the what ifs can't be used as an excuse to continue to marginalize an entire group of people. It's ridiculous. In the time since you have become more open and and when you have been publicly speaking about yourself as trans and your trans experience, I've noticed that you're not just public about it, but that you're very vocal and you've become a member of the activist community. Yeah, I like to think so. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And when I, you know, for example, when I see you on Instagram and you're sharing candid stories, you're opening yourself up to questions. Mm -hmm. You are giving, directing people towards information. You're participating in events. You're sharing news of the events. I'm wondering, because you've turned up the volume, 
Are you also finding the volume of opposition or are you finding the volume of inclusivity and acceptance to be louder? Um, I have personally found, and, you know, this is only my experience. I can't speak for every trans person who then becomes um, more vocal about who they are. But in my personal experience, I've found nothing but positivity. It's been, I've been met with incredibly open arms. Um, People have been receiving me very well. um, And I'm really, really thankful for that. And I think part of the reason for that, um, and and I think this is part of a a larger conversation that we need to have with how we interact with trans people, but I think that um, because I look a certain way, um, you know, perceivably for the most part cisgender to somebody I've never met before, um, they're, you know, you're automatically going to be more accepting of a trans person because they look more like you, um, which needs to not be a thing. Um, so that could be part of the reason why I've been met with graciousness. I think another part of it is that um, rather than focus on the negativity um, sort of around trans-exclusionary radical feminists or the alt-right. And that's the term TERF that you use, Correct. right? Yeah. Yeah. If any, you know, you know I use that word quite a bit <laughs> on do, my Instagram. But I try, I try not to give them too much attention. Right. I do give them attention, but I try not to give them too much attention only because um, I feel like we will win this battle through positivity and through um, showing people how amazing we can be rather than trying to tear down a group that's trying to tear us down. I just, I I don't believe in debating with people who have ill intent where my community is concerned because it's not productive. Um, Some people believe in doing that to show people um, what the hateful attitudes look like. But I, I just don't want to do that. And that's partially for my own mental health as well. Um, so I just rather, you know, try my best to spread messages of love and affirmation, especially for trans youth, considering I was a trans youth at one point and, and really benefited from those messages. I feel like we could peel the onion here and go and go and go and go and go. <laughs> I know. Uh, which we could have an entire podcast series, which actually, yeah, it could be yeah, pretty amazing. Hey. <laughs> hey. <We are> down. <laughs> hey, idea. Um, but I do want to ask, as an ally, mm. uh, what what can I do? What can my fellow allies do to be a better ally mm. and to share messages of positivity and to do our very best for our brothers and sisters and non-binary friends in the trans community? I think that's a wonderful question. And there's a lot that um, people can do to be good allies or better allies. Um, for one thing, just show up for trans people. Um, for example, I'm going to, you know, this this will have already passed by the time this is uploaded <laughs> and everything, but tonight I'm going to a rally um, in support of trans youth um, that's opposing some prominent figures who uh, believe in conversion therapy and a lot of like really twisted ideas on how to treat trans kids. So we're showing up to give um, messages of, again, positivity and information. And so when things, events like that pop up, just show up, be there. 
um, and and be there spreading messages of love. That's a really important thing that you can do. Um, you know, when you hear or see ignorance towards trans people happening, speak up and say something. Um, that's incredibly important. Um, just let people, the, the bigots, know that it's not okay for them to be saying these things because trans people are constantly doing that emotional labor um, and it can be exhausting. So just stepping in and, and and speaking up for trans people is incredibly important, um, especially the most marginalized within the trans community, trans women of color being one of the most marginalized populations I, in North America, I would say. Um, the average life expectancy of a trans woman of color in the United States is 35 years old. So it's, you know, it, it's so speaking up for the most marginalized portions is one of the best things you could possibly do. Um, other than that, I would say um, just making sure you're respecting your trans friends, making sure you respect their pronouns. Um, you know, if they're changing their name, make sure you, you keep up. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. you know, things, things like that, that I think um, are more or less common sense. Be a good human. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's not... It's, you know, people ask, like, what can I do to be a good ally? And while I believe that's an incredibly good question to be asking, it's also just kind of like, just be cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really at cool. the end of the day. It's yeah. pretty simple. <laughs> um, I want to make sure that we'll include links to the, some of the local resources that you mentioned in that our be, show notes. That would be amazing. Um, and anything else that you might tell me off air that you want to make sure that we include, I'd be happy to do that so that if anybody wants to click through and learn more. Uh, and also, where can people find you if they want to follow you uh, on social media and well. and learn more and and yeah yeah um, I'm mostly active on Instagram so I would say follow me Lauren G Sundstrom um, L A U R E N G S U N D S T R O M well done <laughs> thank you yeah I would say that's that's probably the best place and then um, I try my best to answer DMs and stuff so if you have any questions and you know, you want to politely ask me some questions. Yeah, be a good human, guys. Okay. I'm, I'm open to responding to those. But if you're rude, you'll get a block. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and for just being you. And um, I love you. Forever. <laughs> All right, Curtis, Top Drop is coming up. It is. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm still sleeping through the night. Usually a, a week uh, beforehand, that's when I start, <gasps> did we order wine glasses? You know, right. that kind of And you of did order thing. wine glasses, we, right? Uh, we, we did, you <laughs> okay, know, good. but you still wait for those rentals to be delivered the morning of and right. until that truck pulls up. Okay, I hear you on that. Event planning is for sure stressful. Yes. <laughs> and you've got... Not just the main event, which is sold out. It so, is. But you have six events on one night, the Thursday night events. Thursday right? night, May 23rd. And uh, we're so stoked because I think when it comes to wine events, you know, people expect you to walk around grand tasting, kind of like the main event, or uh, they expect a, you know, a big five course, six course dinner where winemakers stand up and talk in between and all that and and you know we do have that too because people love that yeah but uh we've gone a little casual mixing things up 
you know, chatting, sipping, grazing. Yes. Maybe the music up a little bit. I love it. I have to say I was putting together a package on it and even just the logos I thought were so charming and appealing for each of the events. Yeah. And to me that just signaled right away like, oh, this is cool. Now – I will say I've talked to you before about Top Drop and I remember we were kind of talking about how it's kind of like the coolest, I don't know, it's like wine for cool people, right? <laughs> it is. You know, I, I think it's it's wine for, um, for you know, curious savvy um people uh there's a lot of wine events in this town which is which is great i think it's kind of propelled uh wine enthusiasts here uh, we're quite knowledgeable i think that uh, part of that is also our local british columbian wine industry has grown by uh, leaps and bounds um but uh you know i we, we wanted to build something where it was, you know, smaller, more boutique wineries. And I, I think we're at the point now where those people who are into wine, they recognize it's not just a, it's a product that magically appears on a shelf. You know, it, it is, it is farmed food basically. And I think especially here in Vancouver and I think, you know, around the world where we are now, people want to know where their food comes from, how it's grown. And, uh, um, you know, they're really interested in trying new things. And so this kind of equates into wine. And so uh, what we do, we curate a completely different um, program of, uh, of wineries every year from all around the world, generally smaller producers. We do ensure that they're sustainably farming, whether they are organic or biodynamic and that sort of thing. And just interesting stories to tell. And then, you know, of course, that are making delicious wine. Well, yeah. And I think ultimately that's the bottom line because... Some people can get scared away by walls of terminology when it comes to wine. But ultimately, you're putting on an event where people who want to drink great wines and support small wineries and maybe learn a little, eat a little, socialize a little, like you've kind of got that all bundled up in your events. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and not only is it about uh, the stuff that's getting, you know, poured and served. But an important thing is that we do have principles from all the wineries. So whether it's the winemaker or the proprietor or the vineyard manager, you know, this isn't something where it's just, you know, local wine reps uh, behind the table, which is great. Hey, my co-founder, my co-founder of Top Drop, Jeff Curry, uh, the other uh, owner, he's, he's a wine rep. So I, <laughs> I right. nothing against wine reps who, no. who are, you know, they're, they're the ones on the ground making sure that things happen. But, you know, I think it's really important for people to uh, meet the people behind these. It's kind of, you know, the same thought of going to a farmer's market, meeting the farmer, getting the, the story of the land. And it, it just kind of ties it in closer and you get a good connection, you get a good story. You might learn about a new region or a new grape variety that you weren't aware of and so um what i like is when you know when people really take advantage and will ask questions uh of of the people pouring yeah if you're coming into an event as more of a wine novice or you know wine curious what are some good questions to ask to help grow your understanding of what's in your glass you know, you know, you don't really have to just all kind of nod along like you know what they're they're talking about. I, I think asking you know any um, questions if uh, you know say it's a grape variety um, uh, that you haven't heard of and you know, is is this a typical example of it? What are the you know the the traits? Is it more tropical fruit? Is it, is it citrusy or you know that sort of thing? Um, uh, when you're blending, why why are you 
blending doesn't matter. Are, are blends more important than single varietal wines? Anything that you want to ask, I, I think the the big one is also what do I eat with this? Yeah, and uh, and so you know that's definitely an important one. I, I I think there's still kind of that 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 cloud of 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 myth and mystery about food and wine pairing, and it's not necessarily as as um, complicated as people make it. And so I always, especially when it's uh, international winemakers, you know, what do you eat with this? at home that, you know, gives good fodder and then, you know, food and wine together, it just kind of elevates both. And that's what your Thursday night events are completely about, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of fun we're having with them. And I have to say that this kind of stemmed from, we did one of these events last year and it was the the good folks at Wildebeest in Gastown that had this idea and they said, hey, you know, they, they make their own sausages and charcuterie and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they said, what if we just do a, a big, um, uh, you know, sausage charcuterie party? It's springtime, so we'll get a handful of your producers that make excellent rosé, and we'll just do, you know, a walker. We'll, we'll have a DJ walk around, and so, you know, these canapes with this locally made charcuterie and uh, and sausages being thrown, and pink wine everywhere, and it was a blast. It sold out right away. It was so fun, and people are like, oh, you know, I'm not sitting down for a five-hour dinner and that sort of thing, and, and yet they also got to meet I think uh, at that one it was a half dozen different producers from all around the nice. world and you're not having to fork out you know 150 bucks for this uh, it, it's a uh, it, it was uh, approachable and you got to enjoy a good time and it's fun for the guys at the restaurants it's fun for the the wineries to mix it up and so so we started this year by bringing that one back uh, yes. so they call it pink links and uh, we have of course some local rosé uh, but then also we have some from Stoller Family Estate in Oregon. We have uh, theirs made out of Pinot Noir. And uh, just for fun, we have a little champagne, uh, Champagne Le Large Bougeot. Um, so, you know, fantastic that uh, it'll it'll be fun, you know, having the champagne producer uh, at Wildebeest and, you know, tucking into some uh, local food. It'll be fun. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And, I mean, we can kind of walk through as many of these as you want because I know they're all going to be incredibly delicious but you do some really fun pairings like before you were saying you kind of take the i don't know the mystique out of it it's it can be more every day you've got like a barbecue and fried chicken situation right happening. yeah yeah so that's at uh, mammy taylor's in chinatown and uh, uh really excited for that one and a lot of this was just you know we have the selection of 40 wineries who are going to be in town and we were just kind of going Okay, well, you know our, our our restaurant partners we've had previously, and our friends and our colleagues. What would you know, what would be fun? Because we want to have a good time too. You know, we're yeah. putting a lot of work in, into this, and so um, we we were talking with some friends, and well, let, let's do. Uh, well, do you want to do barbecue or do you want to do fried chicken? And, and uh, Ron, the uh, owner of Mammy Taylor, said, "Well, how about we'll do barbecue and we'll get uh, Doug from you know the Download Chicken Shack." DL Chicken, uh, um, cr- crazy popular over on uh, Commercial Drive. We'll have him do fried chicken so people get the best of both worlds. And that's so amazing. Doug's going to be in residence there with uh, the folks from Mammy's. And uh, that's kind of a fun one because, you know, they're, what, what kind of wines don't go with, you know, all of that kind of deliciousness. So we have Craggy Range from New Zealand. Um, locally, um, Alan from Synchromesh uh, Wines is there. He's oh, making some of the best Riesling. Amen. I agree. And, yes. 
And, uh, you know, and we have Forrest from uh, Rogue Valley in Oregon. We have uh, our own uh, Valley producer doing some great uh, Shadow Nifter Pop and Syrahs from uh, Domaine de Fontevin. And, you know, so this is great where people are going to, we're going to have these wine stations around the room. Music's going to be up. Food's going to be passed. And, and it's a great thing for, you know, those people who are like, oh, I don't know if I like Riesling. You know, first of all, you're wrong. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll find some that you love. I promise. Yes. You know, and, and so you, you get to try thing. And if you like more of this one, you go back and get more of that. And, um, yeah, that one is, is going to be so fun. And I just love a wine event where you're going to still be licking your fingers and yeah. rubbing sauce off the corner of your mouth and everything. It's like a real party, it sounds like. Totally. Yeah. 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 Like there's not, it's not stuffy. It's this is a party. No, yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah, mixing it up, and uh, you know, one of the things is for us, you know, all these events, uh, majority of our events, they're fifty five bucks, and part of that is, you know, I get it. I live in the city. It's expensive to to live here, and you know, not all of us can, uh, you know, drop a big, huge, you know, bit of coin on uh, on on events on a Thursday night, and so. We thought, well, come on, like 55 bucks, you get to uh, meet five or six international winemakers, have kind of unlimited array of wine and all this food and everything. And and so we've really done it so we think it's accessible to get people out there and it doesn't seem as much of a a big commitment that you got to, you know, like steal yourself up for and everything. Right. Yeah. Do you want to just quickly... Uh, walk us through what the other events are to choose from because it's pretty eclectic. Totally. Uh, so we have pretty crazy one at uh, at the American on. Yeah. Uh, on a, uh, so uh, we have it's called uh, the Nature of Things. Little uh, CanCon nod uh, <laughs> there. So these are producers uh, more along the natural wine bent. So basically. Uh, definitely farming organically, whether they're certified or not, and minimal in- intervention in the uh, in the winery. Generally, wines are a little unfine, unfiltered, so very fresh um, expressions of international ter- terroir. We have some local producers from a Sunday in August uh, to a little farm out of the Similkameen. We have uh, Vigna de Martino from Maipo in Chile. We have an Italian producer there. And we have um, Monarch Burger, Chef uh, Robert Veltram's uh, legendary Monarch legendary. Uh, Burger. Um, so, again, super fun. And, it's you know, it's at the American. You can play pinball and ski ball against winemakers and everything. So fun. That's rad. Uh, and then uh, just a couple doors down, Iberian Underground with a handful of Spanish and Portuguese producers uh, at uh, Bodegon, Maine. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, we happen to have these all in close succession. At Campagnolo, we're doing a pizza party. Uh, we're getting a bunch of Italian producers together. You know, some of these some of these events just kind of built themselves, right? And, Wine and pizza. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I know. I invented that, actually. Um <laughs> And, uh, and so, yeah, and, and again, they're all stand, you know, stand up grazing things. And it, when we were bouncing these ideas off of everyone, everyone's great, but everyone's thinking, okay, great idea. But you, uh, there's a bunch of people that, you know, I still kind of like those. And, and we all do those dinners where it is five or six courses sit yeah. down and, you know, we, we, we don't dress up often in this, in this town. And so it's nice when you get the opportunity. So, um, we have, uh, a master sommelier, 
uh, Nick Hetzel, uh, who's going to be hosting things at uh, Boulevard. Beautiful spot. And uh, uh, yes, in the Sutton Place. And it's uh, Alex Chen and uh, Roger Ma, you know, uh, much awarded uh, chefs. Uh, you know, I believe we've heard ringing of, uh, you know, uh, best seafood and restaurant here and, and stuff, in the, you know, in their past. And so uh, there we have uh, we have a Chablis producer. We have a Burgundian producer, Marchand Taz, um, Brewer Clifton from Santa Rita Hills in California. We have a uh, Hungarian producer. And, uh, you know, and this is when, you know, you're going all out, the incredible seafood there. Mm. And, and really, it is a good, it, it's, it's a buck 25, you know, it's 125 bucks. This multi-course, you have these amazing winemakers. You have a master sommelier coming up from the U.S. to, you know, conduct things. Uh, J.P. Potters, uh, who uh, uh, runs the show at Boulevard, you know, always make sure that your service is tip top. impeccable And there. everything. And so, uh, yeah, it's called Terroir Mosaic. And, uh, um, and you know, that's going to be pretty fun for the fortunate uh, uh, ones. I grab those handfuls of seats. And this is the sixth year you've been doing the event overall. Am I correct? Uh, this is year six. Year yes. six. Mm-hmm. And it's grown a lot. I mean, you've got, you went from having one kind of party. Yes. <laughs> bonus party last year to having a night of six yes which is amazing um as somebody who is passionate about wine and you write about wine and you kind of spread the love of wine what what does top drop at year six kind of mean to you as far as wine and vancouver the fact that we built something new in, in in this city and that it is growing and that people are into it um I do this. I, everything I do is because I'm a wine enthusiast um, at, at at heart. You know my sommelier background and everything, and I, I love good wine, and I love sharing excellent wine with people, and I love sharing why I like it um, because I want you to like it as much as I do. You know, you you may taste and go, oh yeah, this is good, but then when I when you hear you know the stories that the producers are telling and they kind of walk you through it, it's like you, when you look at a piece of art in an art gallery and you're like, oh, that's great, and then. If there's someone kind of taking you through and telling you a little bit, you know, the history, the context and everything, you're like, oh, I get it. Oh, OK, that that's really cool. And and it just it allows you to enjoy things more. And I just love that people are into that and that it seems that our enthusiasm is contagious, which, which is a good thing. And um, and that, you know, we're literally bringing smiles to people you, you know, people are always stoked at these events. They're super happy and um, and. I love it. If people want to catch that enthusiasm, how can they get tickets to these awesome parties? We've uh, kept it nice and tight. Topdrop.ca is uh, um, is the the website. We're also, of course, on all the the social channels at Top Drop Canada. Uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, of course, but topdrop.ca is the website and that's all the information. It's the entire list of participants and everything. And that's where tickets are selling fast. Yeah, get on there. Yes. Oh, and uh, most important, all of these events, um, partial proceeds go to the BC Hospitality Foundation. Amazing. Local charity, which supports those uh, in the hospitality industry who are facing a uh, um, major medical crisis and are in financial hardship. And so this means uh, anyone that has had something happen to them, they may need uh, a new wheelchair. Um, you may have someone who's incapacitated for a couple months. They're not able to make, um, you know, rent. And, you know, if you're dealing with things, we've had, you know, people who are fighting cancer and all that, and you need your full energy to be focused on that and not, how am I going to make rent? 
how am I going to put food uh, in the fridge? And so the BC Hospitality um, Foundation supports those, uh, you know, your servers, your bartenders, uh, um, the the people selling you wine, the people selling you beer. It's it's there to support those people, to give them that safety net, and uh, our proceeds go to them. And uh, um, yeah, and we're just more than happy that you know that's also growth year after year. We can give them a little bit more uh, year in year out. That is awesome. Okay, everybody, it's up to you. You got to go out on a Thursday night with ticket in hand. Enjoy some wine. Learn about wine. Eat some great food. Support an awesome cause. Thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you for having me. So fun. Love it. So before I scoot out of here and head home and pour myself a nice glass of wine with, uh, I don't know, fried chicken sounds really good right about now. Um, Just wanted to thank everybody for listening to the VIA podcast. And if you are already a fan, please head over to iTunes and rate and review us. It helps raise the profile of the show and we really appreciate it. We do love feedback and hearing from our listeners. So if you have an idea for a show or... uh, comments, concerns, cool stuff going on, tips for things we can cover on the website, you can reach out to us. uh, Hit up contact at vancouverisawesome.com. We have a Facebook group for the podcast, which I'm going to fully confess isn't as active as I want it to be, but uh, we are there. And you can also follow VI Awesome on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram And uh, if you are a Vancouverite who loves Vancouver, spread the good word about our podcast and uh, get your friends listening, too, because we think they're awesome. We hope they think Vancouver is awesome, too. All right. We'll see you next time. The Vancouver is Awesome podcast is produced and hosted by Lindsay William Ross and Bob Kronbauer with additional support from Adam Nanji and associate producer Albert Van Sanford. We record in the studio at Glacier Media, 303 West 5th Avenue in Vancouver's Mount Pleasant neighborhood. You can subscribe via your podcast platform of choice to get VIA downloaded directly each and every Monday. And please consider leaving us a rating or review and definitely tell your friends to tune in too. Follow us on Facebook at Vancouver is Awesome, on Twitter and Instagram at VI Awesome, and read us at VancouverIsAwesome.com. Vancouver is awesome.